the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the dawn of salvation beginning to break. I love the Lord Jesus, oh gift from above, good to be together. Whatever campus you're joining us from, if you're joining us online, welcome to you. Uh, I don't know if you have one of those songs in mind that when you hear it, it just transports you back to a certain place in time. You feel what I'm talking about? You, you kind of picture that songs throughout your entire life. You hear them and you're reminded of a specific time. Well, that's true of this song for me. I'm going to tell you about it here in just a little bit, okay? But this song just transports me back to a special place, something special about music that does that in our lives. It draws us back to a memory, to a place, and it kind of pumps us full of all kinds of emotion. And so this Christmas season, we're going through this series, Christmas Playlist, because it's all about bringing to the forefront of our minds, our hearts, our souls, what the Christmas season is all about. Jesus, obviously. But the playlist of our minds oftentimes will get distracted with other things around us. And so this Christmas season, we're trying to offer focus because we know that we live in a world that is constantly begging for our attention. And if we allow God the opportunity in this season, he'll do something very special in and through us as we try to change our internal playlist to reflect that of God. Now, we've got a couple of habits that we've been trying to get into as a church family, wherever it is that you're participating from, in order to help us work on our internal playlist. So a couple of things. One, we've got these prayer walls. You see them in the comments at the campuses, or of course online, mountaincc.org forward slash prayer wall, a place where we are training ourselves to start thinking about those who we know that are far from the Lord. And this Christmas season, we are going to commit to pray for those people that maybe the Lord would use Christmas Eve's services this season to help bring them to know him, to know the transformational, amazing love of Jesus. 
So interact with those prayer walls online or in the comments. Fill out a card. Pray over the names that are there. And let's pray that God shows up in a big way this season. The second thing, we've got this incredible Advent podcast. And I feel like I could say that because, believe me, I had nothing to do with it, okay? Like, if you want me to do it, the, the technology is going to be a wreck. I'm going to record it on my iPhone. But this has been amazing. I actually started a few days late. And I couldn't help but catch up. I was so excited. I was listening on one and a half speed, so I'd catch up the first three days. And then I just kept going. Each day I get a text to remind me. And it does something really important just to center my heart and my mind in this Advent season around the most important thing, the coming of Jesus. So let me encourage you, participate in those two venues. Allow those things to shape you this season. They're opportunities to help order our internal playlist. And today, the song on our playlist, playlist, you know now, is Away in a Manger. And like I said, it brings back all kinds of feels for me, okay? Like, and I'm one of those people, I'm not the biggest fan of Christmas music. You should not listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and check this out, you should stop on the 26th of December, okay? Like, I, I don't like Christmas music cramping my style, but when I hear this song, no matter what time of year it is, it transports me back to my grandma's house. You see, we had this tradition growing up. Every Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandma's house. The entire family would come, and we'd participate in eating together and, and sharing uh, presents and just being together. It's a big family, okay? My mom is one of seven. There was a lot of people crammed into little old grandma's house, and over the years, those seven got married, and they had babies and babies and babies and babies and babies and babies. And we had this tradition, okay, when there were about 20 grandkids in the house, every Christmas Eve, we'd be hanging out, running around, and then when grandma said, it's time to find Jesus, well, that meant we got to go hunting for Jesus because every Christmas, grandma hid Jesus from us. The weirdest tradition ever, okay? Don't do this. But all the kids, we'd go running through the house and we'd look for Jesus and eventually one of us would find Jesus. And the way it played out from there is that the youngest would take Jesus and put him in the palm of his hands like this and everybody else of all ages, some very, very young, would get a candle and they would light it. And we would parade through grandma's house taking little hidden Jesus to the manger. And along the way, the entire family would belt out the words to away in a manger. And I'll never forget that scene. As weird as it was that we hid Jesus to begin with, the path to the manger was always full of so much emotion. I can't say honestly that I really knew what the words meant then or even cared. I just wanted to be the one lucky enough to find Jesus. All right, but Uncle Doug, big burly country dude, when we started singing away in the manger, something flipped in him. And he sang the loudest of all, away in a manger. I mean, it was bad, okay? It was worse than that. But he sang loud because that song wrecked him so deeply for some wonderful reason. And we examine the lyrics of that song today. I think what we're going to do is we're going to discover that as we pull back the layers of that song, some of the most fundamental truths about Jesus are found in it and how he was to come into the world and what it meant for all of us. 
Now, you fundamentalists of Christmas music, you already know, you just, you just listen to that song, and you know that we, we took some liberties with the words, right? There may not be exactly what you remember from when you were a kid, okay? Songs evolve over time. This one did. It was uh, established in, like, the 1800s is when it was written, and it shape-shifted and evolved a little bit over time, over time, over time. And the version that we just sang together is actually by Phil Wickham. It's a little bit more of a modern version of the tune, but it's one that has such great, deep meaning, and you'll see why. We chose to use that version. After all, it's a song written by man, not God, so we can kind of do whatever we want with it, right? And that version's so beautiful for us. And as I've grown older, I've come to understand deeply what those lyrics mean, the theological truths found in them. And after diving in today, I hope that every time you hear this song, you are brought back to a place where you experience the presence of God with you. So let's jump in. Here's how the song starts. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And don't miss, like these first two lines have so much meaning baked into them. Okay, first, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. We have a baby and we have no place to put it. So we put it in a manger. If you don't know what a manger is, the word simply means to eat or to chew. It's a trough meant for animals to eat out of. That's where they put the baby. But this isn't just any baby. No, this is little Lord Jesus. This is the Lord of the universe put into a manger, a trough meant for animals. As part of the carol, what upholds the truth that we read in Scripture. We see it in Luke chapter 2. Okay, Luke is, he, he's interviewing uh, a bunch of people who are eyewitnesses to what was happening with Jesus. He's writing it down so that it's available for us today, right? We have the privilege of him capturing eyewitness accounts of this universal altering event. And he made it available to us today. And what I want you to know is that the manger was planned. When we read those lyrics and we, we hear of a manger and the Lord going there, we must be thinking, what on earth is happening? Why is that the option? Well, the manger was planned. Ben reminded us of this a couple weeks ago, that, that God had a plan to fulfill the prophecy about where Jesus would be born. So Caesar says, hey, we need a census. Everybody go back to your hometown. And so Mary and Joseph and Mary with child, they head back to Bethlehem. And that's where the scripture picks up in Luke chapter 2. And it says this, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. No guest room available for them. Maybe you've also heard it described this way, okay? Another option, the, the NASB would say, because there was no, no room for them in the inn. It's one of the more popular versions of the scripture that we hear so often. This story that we've all heard throughout the years, I think we've started to describe it in our own mind. You know, like there's not a lot here. There's just a couple of verses for us to take from to help shape the story in our own mind. So what do we tend to do? Well, we tend to describe what it might look like. We try to play it out in our mind and our creativity kicks in. And over the years, like, I, I have started to design in my own head what this scene may have looked like. 
I don't know if it was all influenced by something like this, okay? When I was a little kid, this was the manger scene that floated around our house. Just this junky old barn with some animals and Jesus right in the middle of them with, with Mary and Joseph and I guess uh, some wise men there, whatever it may be, right? Like we all have the different things throughout our life that have helped shape the story in our own minds. Maybe it's the nativity scene that you see. Maybe it's the stories you hear, the movies you watch. My version has often gone like this, okay? Mary is obviously like nine months pregnant and having to go to Bethlehem on the back of a donkey, okay? Like how crazy is that? That's the way I've always pictured this in my mind. So you got this pregnant lady who's about to pop. I have learned the hard way you should not tell pregnant people they're about to pop, okay? But that's the way I imagine it. I don't know if you all know uh, Joel and Katie Arms. Joel's our kids pastor over at the Abingdon campus. Well, they actually had a baby on Wednesday of this week. This is him, okay? I wanted to show him off to everybody. This is little Andrew Shepherd Arms. Everybody says, aw, it's a baby. Come on. All the campuses at home, aw, we're getting there, okay. I saw Katie on Tuesday. She was in the office. And I said, Katie, you look like you're about to pop. That was a mistake. Don't do that. You think I would have learned it after saying it to my wife three different times. But that, that's how Mary must have been, right? Of course. She was about to give birth. They hurry in to Bethlehem. And when they get there, the first thing they do is they go to a hotel. The grumpy old hotel innkeeper says, hey, there, there's no vacancy here, no room for you. Move on. They go house to house to house to house. They find no place that is willing to accept them. And so they're forced to turn to this mangy old barn out back. And it's there in that place all alone, surrounded by animals and the things that animals do. It turns out animals don't care if you're there or not. They are going to do what they're going to do. And it's in that environment, surrounded by animals and this mangy old barn, this stable that Jesus is born. At least that's the way I've played it out in my own mind. And maybe you have too. It's in that setting that Mary goes to the chaos of labor and childbirth. And we think about it, we're like, well, that's, that's the humble beginnings of Jesus and it is what it is. But I want to bring a little clarity to how this may have actually played out because I think it's important and it helps us to realize the beauty, the plan, the genius of God and how Christ enters the world. Hey, let's be honest, Luke doesn't offer us a lot to say this is exactly how it played out, but what Luke would do is assume that those people in the first century who are reading the writings, they're reading what he is writing down, they would have some assumptions of their own about how the scene would go. They would be thinking through it in their context. Just like if I told you that, that Katie and Joel had a baby this week, you would think they went to a hospital where there are doctors who know what they're doing. Well, it turns out when Luke writes this down, the people who are receiving it would make some assumptions about the situation. When Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, they would have started to search for a place to stay, of course, and they, they would have arrived far before she was actually due. And we hear the word in used there. We often sort of start to think like a commercial in, like a Holiday Inn Express. Can you imagine how different this would have played out if they stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen these commercials? Check, check this out. Sponge. How's everything look? Looks good. It's real good. What's his BP? 120 over 80. 
Okay, folks. Close him up. You're not Dr. Stewart. No. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. All right, how different would the situation have been if they had stayed in a Holiday Inn Express last night? Everything would have been right in the world, right? We tend to think of it that way. But the word in used here in some translations is better translated as guest room. So when Mary and Joseph arrive, the rush has already bombarded the village and all the guest rooms and people's homes are full. And Joseph, coming from the line of David, well, he, he certainly would have been welcomed in Bethlehem. Right? No one would have been shutting doors in his face. And to not offer Mary and Joseph a place to stay, that would have put some kind of ugly stain on the culture and the community of a first century Jew. Right? They took their hospitality very important. It was a big deal to them. They wouldn't have just let them be in some shack of a barn out back. That would have been way out of bounds for these people. And so where did Mary and Joseph turn? Well, we don't know per se, but the Bible brings us some kind of clarity. And the word in there, that scripture tells us, they were probably welcomed into somebody's home. But this isn't the kind of setting that you and I are used to, okay? This isn't a three-bedroom, two-rancher off of, a two-bathroom rancher off of a wheeler or something, okay? No, no, no. This is a first-century house. And here's what it may have looked like, okay? Uh, A Middle Eastern village home in this time would have looked something like this. You would have a guest room, and that word there literally translated as in, okay? You'd have a guest room, you'd have a living room where the family hangs out, and then you'd have a stable attached to the house, Because at night, what the family would want to do is bring in whatever livestock they have, whatever animals they have, to keep them safe from thieves and the elements. They'd bring them into this place, and the family would oftentimes sleep in here together. This is where they did life. By the time Mary and Joseph got there, all of these guest rooms were full all around the village. But it's in a setting like this that Mary and Joseph would have been invited in. You see, in the morning, when the family gets up, what they do is they feed their animal in these mangers. Sometimes the stable would be at a lower elevation than the rest of the house in order to keep the animals from coming in or to be separated by uh, some timber or a fence of sorts. And then there would be mangers, sometimes built into the platform of the house or made out of wood and portable. And they would feed the animals and they'd take them outside. They'd clean up the stable. They'd go about their day. And the next night, they would do it all over again. That's is the type of setting that Jesus would have most likely been born in. Not quite the image I had in my mind growing up. A little bit different than my childhood beliefs. But I hope the picture we're painting here will actually help to enrich the beauty of what it means to be away in a manger. You see, when we have clarity around the setting, the culture, it helps us to better understand the significance of the scene. After all, like we said, this was no accident. It was planned. And think about the creativity of God and all this. God knew the time and the date in which Jesus would usher into the world. There was no doubt about it. And he had centuries to orchestrate a plan. You think God wasn't prepared? He certainly was. Remember, Micah 5 tells us that God had a plan and the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem. The king of the universe. Don't don't miss how big of a deal this is. Deity, king of all creation, putting on flesh and bone and entering into the world. And you may have initially expected that his entry would look a little bit different. So did the Jews of that time. Maybe instead he would be born in a mansion, a palace, 
a king surrounded by the best doctors laid in a golden crib with a crown placed on his head. He would free the people from Roman rule and he would reign as king. I mean, think about the words used to describe Jesus. We have Jesus entering the world and then just a couple passages later, some angels go and they reveal the fact that Jesus is here to a bunch of shepherds. And what do we know about shepherds? Well, they're kind of the lowest of the low, but that's who God chooses to tell first. And here's what it tells us about the shepherds. Don't be afraid, the angel said to them, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a savior, a savior, the deliverer from our enemies who is Christ, the one who would fulfill the promises of God, and he is Lord. He's a part of God himself. And you're going to find that baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Cloths were something that peasants would wrap their babies in. And lying in a manger? Are you kidding me? And the shepherds, they go off to find exactly that scene. Yet all throughout it, the angel declares the majesty of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the amazing bigness of God found in the little person of Jesus. You see, the manger was planned to show God's love through the humility of Jesus Christ. God's plan to redeem the world, to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring life to every single person, even the least of these, even the peasants, was found in Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, born not by himself in some junked out old barn where nobody can see him and not in a palace set apart from everybody else, but rather in an ordinary home surrounded by ordinary people like you and me. It was in that place that some ordinary midwife may have helped to deliver the little Jesus. And maybe the ordinary woman of the house held Mary's hand as she went through the pain of childbirth. And some ordinary people sat in the room next door just waiting to hear the cry of the baby, to know that Jesus had arrived. Jesus being born in that setting shows us that Jesus came for ordinary people like you and me. After all, in the book of Matthew, we're told why Jesus came. It says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and that son will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What better place for the Lord of the universe to be born than with us? It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't a palace. but it was exactly what it needed to be to show that God loves you. Now, Jesus didn't just come for the elite, the wealthy, the super spiritual, but he came to be close to each of us, to put his love on display for the least likely, a little baby born in a time and place that showcases the humility of Christ coming to make a way for every person to draw near to him. It makes sense that Emmanuel, God with us, would be born in a place with ordinary people. Let's be honest, there aren't many circumstances more humbling than that. 
But after all we know about Jesus, it makes sense because his humility was put on display through his entire life. And the humility of the way that he was born into this world foreshadowed the life that he would live. Paul reminds us of the humility of Christ in Philippians 2. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's our job. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, being born in a common peasant's home. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to even death on a cross. From beginning to end, Jesus' life puts humility on display. He made himself nothing from his birth, born with us in an ordinary peasant's home. It wasn't glamorous. And from the manger, well, he went on to show his love. He sat at the table of a sinner. He expressed value to those who would be found in prostitution. Right? He cared about the tax collectors. He expressed great love for children. Jesus came to serve other people when in fact he was the one who deserved to be served. Jesus expressed humility from the very beginning to the very end because that manger, that manger led to a life of humble servanthood which led to a cross, which led to a grave that he came out of. But in that cross, he found himself there once again, at the end of his life, surrounded by ordinary people, a thief to his side, his mother in front of him, ordinary people all around, the very people he came to save. Don't miss the incredible power of the manger scene. It might not have been what you expected. It certainly isn't what I thought it was growing up. But it shows us the brilliance of God's plan to bring our Savior into the world through humble circumstances in a way that highlights his love for each and every single one of us. From deity to a troth to a humble life to his eventual death on a cross, that is how the Messiah saves. That's some color to the idea of a way in a manger, doesn't it? born surrounded by ordinary people who he came to save. In the carol, it continues, okay? It says this. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the dawn of salvation beginning to break. I love thee, Lord Jesus, O gift from above, the king of the heavens forever with us. And this is where all the people who know the Christmas carol are like, hey, you changed the words, bro, what's up? All right, we did. Okay, we took some liberties with it. Like I said, this is a version by Phil Wickham. I love this version because I think the lyrics are so powerful for us. But yes, we, admitted, we omitted the line, no crying he makes, in exchange for the dawn of salvation beginning to break. And there's a good reason for it. You know what it is? Those lyrics don't make sense, okay? They're a lie. We know that Jesus cried. You, we know in his adult life that he felt the full implications of humanity and that Jesus himself wept. Like Jesus feels what we feel, and to imply that as a baby he didn't cry, well, that's to elevate his humanity in a way that doesn't make sense to the overall story of why Jesus came in the first place. 
Now, Jesus felt what we feel. Jesus did what we do. Jesus cried. He did the thing that all babies do, okay? He, he ate, he pooped, he probably puked, and he cried. And let's be honest. Isn't there something so beautiful about the cry of a newborn? The cry of a newborn is the cry of life entering into this world. You know, back when my first uh, son was born, Isaac, we had the opportunity to take cameras into the doctor's office, okay? And I I got the birth on film. Don't worry, I'm not going to show you the whole thing, okay? But I do want you to hear the cry of a newborn baby as he gets put on the scale to weigh him. One of his first breaths. Listen to this cry. Wow. The cry of life. I don't cry very often in my life. But when I see the miracle of a child being born, I've been brought to my knees in tears because it's a small example of the magnitude of God and his creation. And can you imagine for a minute how Joseph and Mary must have felt? They knew who Jesus was. They were told this is going to be God incarnate, flesh and and bones, God coming to earth to save his people. And can you imagine that moment when Mary, this virgin, gives birth to this baby and they hear the cry of Jesus for the very first time. That is the cry of life. That is the cry of God now fully with us. And it's beautiful. So we omitted it the line that he didn't cry. And we exchanged it for some lyrics that we think put on display how beautiful that cry is. That the dawn of salvation is beginning to break. The people had been waiting for a savior. And in that manger scene, it was beginning. Again, foreshadowing the humble life that Jesus would live, his nature that would lead him to a cross and bring salvation to all who believe. Jesus' presence in this world, it changed everything. That cry changed everything. God's people had been waiting for a savior. Jesus' birth, it tore through the darkness and it shined bright, the light of God, into this world. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. He made the ways of heaven tangible to us, giving us the promise of eternal life to anyone and everyone who turns to him, even the common peasant folks. You know, Romans 10, it reminds us that all who profess the name of Jesus, well, Jesus will respond. And the dawn of salvation will break into your life. And in John 14, Jesus tells us that the king of heaven is forever with us through our advocate, the Holy Spirit. The Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name, and he will teach you, and he will help you to remember all the things I've said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. God is with us, and salvation is breaking through. It started with the cry of life that Jesus offered. 
in that humble scene in a manger in some common peasant's house. Jesus came to be with us. And the song ends, I believe, with some application for us. It says this, I worship you, Jesus, for all of my days. The highest of praise be unto your name, my God, my Savior, my King, and my friend. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. Hear those words, forever I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus, for all of my days. What is the response to someone who calls upon the name of the Lord, someone who experiences the transformational love of Jesus found in that pathetic manger scene? Well, the appropriate response is worship. And I'm not talking about just singing worship songs. That's good, and that's right, and that's lovely. But it's so much more than that. When we see the dawn of salvation beginning to break, when we realize that God is with us, when we realize that God came to save ordinary people like you and me, the natural overflow, the response to that is a life of worship, a life of response. Not just saying that salvation is coming one day, but salvation has come now and it will redeem my everyday, the way that I live, the way that I walk, the way that I talk. The manger scene is where Jesus makes it tangible to us. Born in a way that expresses God's love for all people. And the natural response is to worship. The humble beginnings, the humble middle of Jesus' life spent serving others to the humble ending on a cross. Jesus shows us the way to worship him. Ephesians reminds us that we are to be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us because of the life that Jesus lived. Our worshipful response is to imitate him in this life. The response, the humility of God found in a manger is to worship him every single day by truly caring for others by serving those around us, by being generous with what the Lord has provided us, by being there for the outcast and the broken, by putting the needs of someone else before my own, by looking for every opportunity to speak the light of Christ into a dark world. Our response to a way in a manger should be the same as the shepherds. They came and they saw that Jesus, God of the universe, clothed himself in human skin so that he can experience everything that we experience. To live a perfect life so that imperfect people can have a way to the dawn of salvation that's beginning to break. The shepherd's response, they walked away praising God and worshiping Jesus.
a little baby, born in an ordinary place, around ordinary people, putting on display a love that is available to you and to me. And our response simply should be a life lived in radical devotion to him, to walk away worshiping him, to understand the application of this song. And so if I may, as we pray today, I just want to pray the last few verses of this song. And I'd invite you to make them your prayer today that if you have experienced the radical love of Jesus that started that day in a manger coming for ordinary people like us, the broken, the lost, those who need to understand the salvation of Jesus, let your response just simply be to worship him. The manger scenes shows us that he came for us. Let's pray. God, our prayer to you is this. I worship you, Jesus, for all of my days. The highest of praise be unto your name. Our God and our Savior, our King, and our friend, yours, Jesus, is the glory forever. Amen. Amen.